Personal log, Lieutenant Logan, Chief Engineer DuJour. I really thought I had a shot at command this time. The Enterprise was, was under fire, and the three top-ranking officers were on an away team. I thought maybe if I came up to the bridge and insulted everyone, they would just give me control of the ship. <laughs> at least I got to take the saucer section on a little jaunt to Starbase 103. Pity, since I spent so much time oiling my hair this morning, and it looked good. Welcome to Re-Engage, everyone, where we <laughs> return to a sci-fi show we all have a very strong connection to, Star Trek. The Next Generation. It debuted in 1987 when we were all young, and now in 2021, we re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective. Let's say hi to my friends who have been on this journey with me for many an episode. How's it going? Jimmy, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing very well. Excited to talk about lasers and deadly hair dryers. <laughs> It is it is a terrifying shape. Uh, they can destroy you and learn from you, those hair dryers. Eric Gratton, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. I, I'm looking at myself in the Zoom thing because I am narcissistic. And I tell you, I have the same hair right now as I did in uh, 1988. I got the full-on COVID mullet, and uh, that's about what I was rocking back okay, then. Good. Glad to be here with y'all. Yeah, very excited. Uh, I, if you had very long hair uh, in 1988, I'm just going to say, that's pretty cool. Oh, I did. Absolutely. I still do, though, now. <laughs> About every 13 years, I did the math. Every 13 years, I grow long-ass hair. It's the, it's the same interval that these uh, weapon systems uh, get upgraded. <laughs> yeah, and the cicadas in the, in the Midwest. <laughs> Kate Yeager, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm just remembering that... Uh, we're about, this episode is about two years past the time that I convinced my mother that I needed a rat tail really badly. Yes. So I was, yeah. So I was that kid at school with a rat tail. I was allowed the mullet because it was a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Compromise. A, uh, compromise <laughs> from the rat tail that I requested. <laughs> It was a compromising situation. Good work, Thank Kate. you. The year before that, it was terrible perm. So I just, I, I, I talked to my mother to this day about the fact that she really let me down by allowing me a lot of personal <laughs> freedom with my hair. <laughs> I really would have enjoyed some coaching uh, at, this, at this point in my life. Thank you. It's not too late for me. I still need it. Help. I'm, I'm, I, I looked like Marky Post back then, and I think uh, now I'm somewhere between that and Sam Elliott from uh, Roadhouse, oh, yeah. but I can't rock the, the Sam Elliott from Roadhouse like Sam Elliott could, and I think it's important that I know that. <laughs> <laughs> we all must know our limitations, for sure. Yes. Uh, so this episode that we're talking about is episode 20 from the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. The Arsenal of Freedom. It is Stardate 41798.2. But for those of you who do not know what Stardates are, it debuted on April 11th, 1988. Long time ago, uh, there was lots of stuff happening, which I want to get to, but I'm going to start with some baseball, since I know at least one person uh, uh, is is excited about listening to that here. Uh, It was the Baltimore Orioles' worst season start. They won. This was a record. They went 0-14 and and ended up going 0-21 over the course of this start. 
Uh, Cal Ripken was fired as manager and Frank Robinson took over as manager after six losses, but they went on uh, to w- lose, I think, 107 games this season. Yeah, it was pretty bad. That's rough. I mean, 107's okay when you start that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you uh, you corrected the ship a little bit statistically, but yeah, wow. It was rough. I remember uh, following along uh, when this was happening because I think the Red Sox actually had a pretty good start to their season and ended up uh, taking first place in the American League East in 1988. Yeah. It was before the Royals' steep descent into... Uh, just crap. <laughs> so I, I still remember that that time dearly as well with Bo Jackson and, and the, the guys having a good time. The number one song in America was Get Out of My Dreams. Yes! Get in the backseat, baby! Get into my, my car. Hey, hey, you, you. Get Might be Corey Haynes' Hamlet. <laughs> Are you talking about License to Drive? (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, Who was that? That was both Corey's, right? And Heather Graham. Right at the hip. Was it Heather Graham in in License to Drive? Yeah, Mercedes. Oh, right. It was her car, right? That's awesome. Yes, it was. Right, because that's a separate movie from Dream a Little Dream. I'm I'm on board now. Yes. It is. That was uh, Feldman's Hamlet. Same, same Hamlet. fictional universe. <laughs> that was Jason Robard's Hamlet, Dream a Little Dream. <laughs> <laughs> what did that guy ever do? Definitely remember singing this one on the bus many a time, and I think we, we changed the lyrics up quite a bit. I do remember, get out of those jeans, get into my car, or into my butt would maybe work too. Uh, I think butt, yeah. I, def- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It never doesn't work, really. <laughs> Comedy gold. Uh, not unlike uh, the number one movie uh, in April 11th, 1988, Beetlejuice. <gasps> Wait, what was that again? Oh, yes. Don't Beetlejuice. say it. Well, I'm Beetlejuice. sorry, one more. What, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's Michael Keaton's Hamlet. God, it's, I it's love up that there. fucking movie so fucking much. It's not even fucking funny. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just good. so good. It's so, and it remains good. Like you know, you watch a lot of movies from that time period, or at least I do, and I go, "Oh, nostalgia," but not a good movie. <laughs> I think that movie yeah. holds up because it it's just still weird as fuck, and it's just a, a delicious, you know, daydream of uh, of of weird people and and Burton at his finest. Yeah, it really seems to me like that through to like scissor hands, the the stories match up with the design and and after that sometimes story and performance don't yes. quite rise to the level of the visuals, but certainly in Beetlejuice and Scissor Hands and and uh Pee-wee Herman <laughs> like Batman that's not the case. Yeah, it was it was before that shtick got uh, a bit a bit worn in the in the treads there uh as far as what it looked like. Um, and you know, there's still people moving to Connecticut, just like those people right now. <laughs> it's true. That movie is responsible <laughs> for why Catherine O'Hara has been my hero since this time period. 
I mean, I oh, absolutely, yeah. you know, Winona Ryder, I wanted to be her in that moment, but I knew I wanted to grow up to be Catherine O'Hara and mm. just watching her career like a hawk every, you know, since, since yeah. that time period. And, and the fact that she can sing and she can do stage and she can do movies. I mean, she, I'm, I'm just, she's, she's my, she she's knows my, all the terms. She, she's my patronus as it were. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, I mean, my, my weird chosen branding over the last few years is physical comedian, and she's one of the great ones in, in movie history anyway. I mean, even if the only big thing she had done in terms of physical choices, and it's not, but if it had been, that that walk she does in the final turn with her dog after she, like, dislocates her knee in Best oh, in yes. Show that is, is some of the best funny walk <laughs> shit that I have ever seen. And it's in high heels. It's amazing. Yeah. I have tried to recreate that walk and I, I can't. I can't yeah. do it. It's, My knees aren't good it's enough. It's double jointed just <laughs> enough to be able to pull it off. It's so good. It's I love Otto, the, the interior decorator in, in Beetlejuice. That was always this weird standout character for me. Yeah. Otho. Otho. That's what it was. Otho. Yeah. So weird and strange uh, and uh, loved uh his, his the, the the shtick uh you know and not to mention Gina Davis and, and Alec Baldwin actually you know that was my first introduction yeah. to them it's a great ensemble yeah uh april 11th 1988 was also the date of the 60th oscars uh it Ooh. is when Ooh. the last emperor cleaned up uh and won i think eight academy awards including best picture it is also when uh, Chevy Chase hosted it for the second time. Michael Douglas won Best Actor for Wall Street, and Cher got one for Moonstruck. That's right. Snap That's out fantastic. of it. <laughs> as well as Olympia Dukakis from uh, from Moonstruck as well. Hell yeah! Yeah, uh, I remember paying attention to this. I loved watching uh, uh, you know these type of appointment viewing kind of show type things, but I'd never, I didn't see any of these movies as a 10 year old. So I was right. kind of lost on me. Well, I remember that best actress category had Glenn close in it too, for fatal attraction. Mm. And I can't, it was a super stacked category that year. And I can't remember who Meryl Streep, the third or fourth uh, was, was, Streep Streep was in there. Holly Hunter for, for broadcast news as well. Holly Hunter is the one I'm thinking about for broadcast news. Yeah. That's right. Ah, oh. What a category. Yeah, it was it was big. And then uh what was I gonna mention? Uh because it was interesting. Oh yeah, so uh Dirty Dancing song, one best original song, I've had the time of my life. Nice. From that. And uh it's also David Byrne won a Oscar for his score on The Last Emperor. I had wow. no recollection I know. of that. I didn't that, know that either. That doesn't feel like a natural fit. No, it might have been his like first foray into, you know, world music that, yeah, that, for that sure. Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel and David Byrne all kind of got into in the late 80s, along with uh, Paul Simon. Yeah. I don't remember much about Last Emperor other than that it was gorgeous. Just be like, I, I remember shots from that still to this day. Yeah. Um, there's that iconic scene with the with the, the little kid running through the the silks the red, the red tent or, or you know the red um fabric and then coming out and there's just a sea of people 
Uh, it's one of those iconic moments that just kind of sticks with you. And my mom definitely took me to see uh, 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 that share movie. Um, oh my god, Moonstruck. Moonstruck. <laughs> Moonstruck. I was going to say Moonlighting, but that was another thing I was That's allowed to watch yeah. that I probably shouldn't have watched. <laughs> I maintain that the '80s share is one of the great all-time actor decades. Uh, just unbelievable all the way through. You know, she won her Tony and her Oscar in the same year. She had six or seven of the best film performances from a young woman, I think, in film history. Things like her work in Silkwood and uh, uh, Moonstruck and uh, Witches of Eastwick. I just it's it's neat to kind of revisit Moonstruck. Yeah, and she... John Patrick Shanley won for for the best original screenplay for that as well. Oh, right. Does she have an EGOT? I feel like she would. But maybe not an Emmy. I don't know if she has a Emmy. I assume she was up for several of them. It would it would make sense that as a performer she would be a logical. Let's choice. not look it up, but um, <laughs> but it's good to ponder. <laughs> yeah, she's one of I I don't remember how many. There are only a few people who've won their Tony and Oscar in the same year. I think Mercedes Rule, and if I remember right, Audrey Hepburn. But I'm not positive of that. Two movies I did see. Uh, who won Oscars was uh, Best Makeup, Harry and the Hendersons. <gasps> oh. oh, yeah. It was only one out of only two nominees. So that's how much <laughs> the Oscars have changed. <laughs> uh, similarly, Best Visual Effects was one, uh, only two nominees. One was Predator, which did not win, and Inner Space, which was <gasps> one of my favorite movies of the 80s. Hell I yeah. love that over movie. Over and over on HBO. Watched the heck out of that movie. Should our next podcast just be called I Love That Movie? <laughs> <laughs> and it lasts for 12 hours. Jimmy and I used to host that <laughs> podcast, basically. <laughs> Uh, I am still sad, though. I mean, I mentioned how uh, I've had the time of my life won uh, from Dirty Dancing, but it beat out Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now from Mannequin. Wow. Which I always thought it, yeah, is that Starship, right? Did that? Yeah. yeah. Jefferson's Starship. They might have just been Starship by this point. Oh, no, you're at right. At that point. Right. Yeah. But yeah, right. that's where they came from. Nothing's gonna stop us now. Oh, yeah. man. And Shakedown. No, I think yeah. I just did Meatloaf as Starship. <laughs> you might have. Yeah. Shakedown Breakdown, Shakedown, you, you busted. busted. Yeah, from Beverly Hills Cop 2. Uh, Pointer Sisters? Uh, no, uh, Bob Seger and uh, Harold Faltermeyer, the guy who did uh, uh, Axel F, right? Why do I hear it as a woman's voice in my head. Break, no, it's by a I want to hear that. Breakdown, ever gonna bring it to the brown and nine. Yeah, I hear. Shakedown, breakdown, <laughs> you busted. But uh, I'm sure you were fantastic, Mr. Maybe, Seger. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that was at the Grammys. Uh, it was the everybody came on and did ghost uh, guest vocals for it that year. Uh, so yeah, a, a big day in entertainment for April eleventh, nineteen eighty-eight, uh, and wow. we get the Arsenal Frieden. There's another big reason why it was a big day in entertainment. Uh, but there's so many great guest stars in this episode. Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't start with possibly the most recognizable actor to guest star so far for most of us from the 80s, uh, which I'm now I'm like, I, I want to guess it. Vincent there Schiavelli. There you go. Yeah. Yes. I just, that I just dude, wrote down, man, I Especially love that for dude. genre fans. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, those of us who were genre dorks, I mean, clearly we loved Ghost and we loved Batman Returns and like his, his face just showed up in, 
in weird situation genre movies all the time. And he does so well as this weird uh, Max Headroom like shill uh, uh, selling weapons. We'll, we'll we'll get to all that, but good turn. He's in Buckaroo Banzai in the uh, yes. across the eighth all dimension. Right. He's just in in so many things, including. Uh, Milos Forman. He's in a lot of Milos Forman films. Uh, one Almadeus, one that's right. Nest. Wow. Yeah. He ended up being, I think, in five or six Milos Forman uh, films uh, over his entire career. Too shabby. Talk about somebody who knows their type and mm. just plays the shit out of it. No, go For ahead. Real. Talk about someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this Vincent Vicchiavelli <laughs> guy that I'm a big fan of. <laughs> Corey, Corey Feldman was referred to earlier as well. I think I think that was a man that really understood his yeah. niche. The Burbs is his Hamlet, I will have to say, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that oh, later. Agreed. I would not argue. That uh, Vincent Schiavelli and Ghost, you mentioned it a little bit, but I still have like that entire scene. It's a short scene, right? He's only in it for maybe like five minutes, ten minutes total. Yeah, he has two two and short it's scenes. It's so memorable. I could probably you know tell you every one of them, especially that turn he does at the end, where you think he's going to be that friend and oh, go off and do what you need to do, but he's just angry uh, at the Patrick Swayze character there, and uh, it's you know it 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 has a little bit of creepness to to Ghost, which is mostly romantic pottery making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know it, it has a kind of a a feel of a metaphor for dementia, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, where it's the same person, but they don't remember what has just happened. And it's, it, you know, as you grow older and spend time around people like that, that's, that's what that performance continually reminds me of. And I wonder if it was purposeful on the part of the filmmakers. What do you think, Jimmy? Did you like Vincent? <laughs> no. no, yeah, he was great. I love him. I don't think uh, he had any deep choices there. He was just being crazy. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> he, he didn't have anything beyond angry voice but it was really good uh sweet and then we also get uh logan uh the lieutenant logan played by vito ruginis not uh, a ton of stuff uh that he has done but i don't think i recognized him at all yeah that face looked very familiar to me. And then I looked him up and I'm just like, no, he's just got one of these fantastic faces. Yeah. You might remember him from smaller uh, roles in uh, devil's advocate uh, and broken arrow. Um, but he, he is our rotating chief engineer. This is the third uh, that is named here in this first season. I did a little bit of a dive on star Trek enterprise d chief engineers if anybody would like a brief summary on what the canon now is on this whole thing yes it's that there were several at once on the enterprise d either alternating who was currently active as chief on a 24-hour period because it was newly kind of recommissioned and launched or that they were all three sharing the role and then it was once once they were gone uh, it got consolidated into one role for Jordy. But what's awesome about it is that all three that we've seen so far this season and one more that we'll see after Logan all die in a comic book uh, around the same time, just a, just a couple years after this, that some 
character has a grudge, a, like a psychotic grudge against former engineering chiefs on the Enterprise D and literally tracks them down all over the universe and murders wow. them one at a time. And that's all canon. <laughs> so that's that's how Mr. Logan eventually ends. Same with Argyle. Oh, uh, all Argyle. of the ones we've seen so far. That's amazing. Yep. I like that someone was like, I'm just going to take this weird uh, detail of casting from the first season and like, let's make a story around, uh, you know, some type of weird serial killer. Yes, the murderer was named Tana Santu from Zorta. The extended universe. Got McDougal. Yeah. (laughs) They're all, all of them gone. Uh, So Marco Rodriguez is another uh, guest star. He played Rice, Captain Paul Rice, uh, in a a, a weird scene. Uh, Jimmy's thinking of the acid party. Classified. (laughs) (laughs) Having seen that scene in the acid party, that scene can't have been anything other than the acid party. Like it it can only (laughs) exist in in that world now. All I will ever see. It is, it is yeah. Very For much those so. of you who haven't seen it yet, there's a great what it's like thirty minutes, right? It's forty. This acid, it's like forty-five. Yeah, it's crazy long. <laughs> and it's just this Star Trek acid trip, and uh, I can only watch it. I was telling Greg earlier in small bursts because it just upsets me too much. I get like I love it, but I get unsettled quite easily. Uh, I am both too high and not correct, high enough. Correct. I can't find that right balance. It's got. It, I love this video. I think I've talked about it a couple of times so far, but it, it, worth watching for those of you who are in this first season because so many of the clips used by uh, the creator of this uh, took clips from the first season because they felt, I don't know, maybe the most strange or weird. Uh, but it's amalgam of little snippets and editing tricks and things that are one part music video, one part uh, stoner comedy, uh, and one part, uh, um, you know, let's put uh, the... Dark Side of the Moon on while watching The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, right after that bit with uh, Riker and Bryce, th- there's a scene where the, the the shuttle is like a five-minute descent into, <laughs> into the bay, and I just made my skin crawl because like, land already! <laughs> Get there! Well, that's one of my favorite parts of it, that they take some of the matte paintings uh, that are used in Next Generation episodes as just setting. You really only see them for a second or two in the episodes. But in this Star Trek acid party, they, they extend linger. that for like a minute or two. And you get these weird kind of moments yeah. where you're like, what is this sci- moving sci-fi art uh, that I'm looking at? And is that, uh, Greg, is that matte painting from the scene I just talked about? Is that the one from when Wesley went to take his test? I think it is actually, yeah. I think so. Awesome. Yeah. So we only got a snippet of that from that from from, from that coming of age. Uh, but you know, here we get to look at it a little bit more. And of course, Marco... Uh, uh, Rube. Rubio. <laughs> he went on to be governor. He's upset about ne- uh, Neanderthals. Uh, Marco Rodriguez uh, ends up coming later uh, back as an actor in The Wounded uh, as a Cardassian. Hmm. Uh, so we get to see his face uh, with lots of uh, amazing prosthetics on it. Um that's exciting. He's very expressive. I enjoyed his performance quite a yeah, bit. He was just that. He, he looked, uh, he's another one who looked familiar. Unsettling, right? Um, yeah, terrific presence. And he goes on to be in a Million Dollar Baby uh, and A Man Apart uh, later on in his career. So he ends up doing some fun stuff, including uh, High School High with John Levitz. <laughs> 
I remember that movie. It is not good. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe not a highlight for for Marco's career. (laughs) I'd take it. Good work, Marco. (laughs) Uh, Two more fun co-stars I just want to briefly touch on before we get to the meat of the episode itself. Uh, But these two uh, end up being the kind of uh, B crew, uh, a a bridge crew for Jordy as he deals with what's happening in this episode. We have Julia Nixon, uh, who plays Lian Su uh, at the con. And uh, we have George De La Pena, who is playing Solas. I wrote down about Solas. Who is this Solas and why is he not Wesley? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and Wesley Crusher does not appear in no. this episode uh, no. at all. So it must have been a scheduling thing or something. That's my guess. Yeah, they skipped my friend Wesley a bunch. You know, puberty. (laughs) He woke up and his back hurt. But yeah, I'd like to, you know, seeing some younger bridge crew officers uh, as well as, you know, Jordi having to step into the role of of mentor a little bit here and making sure that they were, you know, up to the challenge that he was setting them for. George de la Pena uh, is a dancer, actually. He ended up uh, appearing in Broadway on uh, a number of things as well as... uh, Starring in a uh, a movie called Najinsky, which was about a mentally unstable dancer. Oh, oh, hell yeah! Uh, we don't get to see his dance as much. Uh, but Julia Nixon, uh, who was the other crew member, uh, goes on to be in things like Sons of Thunder. I'm not sure. What, oh, that was just an ADR loop. Never mind. Uh, Walker, <laughs> Texas Ranger, uh, as well as a ton of other. I'm looking at the additional crew section of their IMDb, not their actual one. Apologies there. Uh, but yeah, has a lo- very long career that shows up in you know, Rambo First Blood uh, Part Two, uh, as well as uh, some amazing turns on Babylon Five. Ooh. Yeah, she it's was interesting how they set those two characters up as you're right. The, the B storyline in a lot of ways. Um, and then we never see them again. And I really liked them. Like, I mean, despite the fact that he wasn't Wesley, uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed watching both of them uh, go through that process with Jordy. And you would think that that would lead to more storyline down the road. Yeah. Right. Like I think in a, in a, in a different continuity if this show is being produced now you wouldn't have these like hanging characters right like they would they would be developed somehow right. going forward most likely um but because of such an episodic nature right here like you know, there's not a lot of development which we'll we'll get to talking about in a bit um you know it's more just like oh yeah you're here and then you know you get reassigned or you get killed off uh, in comic books I think it would be awesome to see a run of a series like Star Trek that goes eight seasons. You see the same two people at the calm and navigation, and we never hear anything or learn anything about them. And then the final episode, like Jordy walks by and is like, hey, what's your name? <laughs> How long have you been here? I was going to say, like a lot of the, the cop shows or or shows that are at a workplace will have stuff like that. You know, we, we talk about, you know, Creed and a couple of the people started out as extras and then got added. Uh, I had a friend who was supposed to have two lines in, I think, the pilot of Homicide Life on the Street, but they were using handheld cameras. And by the time his call time came around, they had just gone ahead and shot his scenes because <laughs> they'd gotten to it way oh, early. Geez. 
Uh, this is the, in the 90s, you know. <clears throat> so what they did instead was they gave him featured extra work every day they were shooting that he was available for the entire run of the wow. show uh, in, in Baltimore. So That's a big deal. It ended up being great. Like, yeah, he got his house on it and things like that. But yeah. like, it's amazing some of the stuff that ends up happening. Yeah. Uh, so Arsenal Freedom uh, starts off uh, with the Enterprise starting to investigate uh, what happened to a previous uh, ship, the Drake, uh, captained by Riker's friend from the Academy, Captain Paul Rice. What did you guys think of this, this kind of opening uh, and, and setup for this episode? Jimmy, we'll go to you since uh, I feel like I want you to talk. Uh, the opening was okay. Like it's, there was nothing uh, that struck me about it. Nothing good or bad. It there was no uh, uh, no loopholes right away. It was just a I thought very straightforward. This is the guy I do. Yeah, he was okay. He you know he took a lot of chances. Um, Riker handled that that stuff well. Um, it, it just uh, was forgettable. You know, it's like it, it served its purpose as a tool and and not much more from from my experience that that opening scene. I see it uh, a little bit as a, there's a little bit of a MacGuffin there because we get the sort of the ballad of Captain Rice where we think, you know, we're going to meet this, you know, renegade uh, who they, they had to rewrite the test after he took it. He was the only one in philosophy (laughs) class that just stood up and said, no, I won't take your class. And then the teacher said, that was the test. Like, that's the kind of, like, credo that he, this, or, you know, like, this mythos about this guy. And then it turns out that it's very, it's a very small, you know, if, if this planet can get this captain, then what choice do the rest of us have? Yeah. And uh, the writer or, you know, main kind of creator around this was Robert Lewin, uh, and uh, Maurice Hurley had to step in and, and, and some other writers end up getting the credit for uh, the teleplay, the actual writing of it out. Um, but uh, you can imagine that this was going to have uh, some different things going on because this was another script that was delivered late uh, mm. to the director. Uh, <laughs> so Les Landau actually said production shut down. It was given so late. They actually had a, at least two or three days in which th- there was no shooting happening because they did not have a script. Uh, and uh, the director, Les Landau, as I was saying, uh, went on to say, like, oh, we, I ended up having, because I had prepped so much and we all knew the sets and we all knew what was going to happen with, from, the, from the story outline, you know, we were able to shoot really fast and it ended up being great. But uh, there was a lot of consternation about what this episode was going to be about. And I think it all centered around uh, Dr. Crusher and Picard scene, which we'll get to. But uh, uh, very, very troubled start. Um, so when they get to the planet, uh, uh, after we get to, well, actually, no, before that, we'll, we'll talk through, uh, the commercial we get to watch, uh, and everybody who is in the audience who is seeing Vincent, uh, do this commercial knows exactly what it is from the language and how it's presented as like, you got to buy this. And this is all these top, you know, here's all the features that you need to get. But it's so interesting watching Picard and the rest of the bridge crew just be like, uh, what are we watching? What is this? They don't have commercials in the 24th yeah. century. They all have Spotify premium. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real utopia. 
no, I love that. That I mean, it's a it's a time honored bit, right? The we are having two different conversations, and really, we're not having a conversation at all because one of us is a recording. <laughs> it's it's you know you know that old chestnut. <laughs> right, it's Dan Aykroyd from the first couple seasons of Saturday Night Live doing that right. stuff. You know, selling his bag of nails, bag of broken glass, bag of sulfuric acid. <laughs> you know, and he's going through the his his entire fishomatic. Was, I never bassomatic <laughs> fishomatic bassomatic. Was... Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just so good. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to lose the fact that we learn right before this commercial that Riker was offered to uh, the the Drake. So we find out, you know, that that he turned down, which I think we we kind of had had hints for that, that 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 he had specifically asked to be on this ship, but that he was specifically offered the Drake, uh, and didn't love, take it. I love that you basically were just like the Tasha Yar line, where it's like, "Hey, weren't you offered that? Just get the expedition it's in like there." Expedition. Yeah. Uh, there is a moment though. This is the first time right before they go down um, to the planet. I-, I think it's the first time we hear Tasha really give tactical, you know, a command where Riker says, we're going to go down this way. And she stands in his way and says, I disagree. We're going to send in a small compliment until we know. Now, I think they should have talked a little bit more about um, like the means of succession and um, designated survivors in terms of who went down to that planet. <laughs> but it is the first time we hear her sort of stand up and give some uh, tactical yeah. guidance. Well, and, you know, I, when I saw them go down, I was like, man, when we go over to the Tito's for dinner, we have like five bags. These guys are going down to an alien planet and they take a phaser and one little tricorder. Like, it's like, these guys really pack well. They're very light. <laughs> and they don't leave anything on the planet. Yeah, it's just uh, zero footprint, and they don't take anything with them. <laughs> they're they're uh, echo conscious as well. Uh, it's the tertiary directive. Right? <laughs> the tertiary directive. <laughs> and you know how I feel about tertiary. Carry in, carry out. Uh, I noticed that too, Kate, and it, it was a nice contrast from uh, the previous episode where I felt like she had no agency and was yeah. just repeating lines. Uh, so here's at least something that was... Uh, an active choice that she was making. Now, I could argue she doesn't get any much more character development on this scene afterwards, but she does get to, to you know, do a little bit more uh, to influence the plot, at yeah. least. Uh, so, yeah, we are on this lush planet. It's very green. Uh, it's strange because there's no life signs, and they don't understand why. This planet, uh, it was the planet Minos, and uh, another bit of exposition we get in the opening is that they were weapons dealers. They sold to two warring factions in the system, uh, or at least the, the cluster that they're in, the Lorenz cluster. Uh, and they, you know, again, sold to both sides. So they were just this, this kind of weapons dealer, and that's what they were known for. Uh, so it should be a thriving technological you know, planet, uh, but there is absolutely no life signs of intelligent life. Yeah, how do they do that scan? I don't know. They hook uh, Troy up to a machine. This <laughs> <laughs> they got Cerebro. And uh, she can feel everybody. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Cannon. It's Cannon. Yeah. Cannon. She does a lot of concerned looks in this episode as well, I will say. <laughs> There's a very long yes. one. There's a like the camera stays on her while she's staring at Jordy and like 
I think Jordan would be like, what are you, why are you giving me the eye? <laughs> Back <laughs> off, lady. <laughs> I'm trying to captain here. So they start to explore. Uh, it's Data, uh, Tasha, and Riker uh, on, on this first away team here. And uh, they encounter Rice. Uh, or do they? Yes. We get this weird unsettling scene where Rice is there. Riker, for a long time, doesn't know uh, what, what the deal is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let me, uh, Jimmy, do you think that went on a little too long or do you think he figured it out at the right time? No, I don't. I, I think he, f- I think he knew before Picard told him. Uh, but I, the only odd thing for me about the scene is the welcome he has. Like immediately, it's like Bryce. Hey, uh, I, I don't think that you would. Um, I don't think it's a good acting choice. Uh, and it was. It, it reminded me of my first year of grad school. One of uh, an exercise we had, and it was an exercise he did one time. And I happened to be in it and I was told to leave the room. Uh, I had to go on the other side of the door. Um, and then I was told when I could come in. And when I came in, my my partner was uh, sprawled out on the table. And the whole exercise uh, was how would I respond? And thankfully, I responded correctly with not assuming everything was OK, but like, hey, Krista. Um, and I think it would, this is similar is that moment should have been more like that with seeing somebody that you haven't seen in a very long time on a planet that has no life signs. And then you see this guy's like, you don't welcome with a smile and like, hey, Bryce, remember when we got wasted at Starfleet? I know, but oh, that's it's so it's good your, to see it's, you. It's your old drinking buddy. I totally get that instinct. I totally get the like, <laughs> on a dead brothers. planet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. he's the one they're looking for, right? So, so ultimately, it's good news. Are they? He found a way to hide from the sensors, yeah. and there he is. I, I right. knew it could be you if it could be anybody. It, it, it's sense. another one on the test. You're right. Question number five. <laughs> How do you hide from sensors? Especially when Troy's all hooked up to it. I love that when Riker finally does figure it out, plus Picard has told him, uh, he lays out a full-on your mom joke. Yeah, it's awesome. Which is just so quintessentially beautifully late 80s. When I feel like that was invented, maybe. I don't know. I Probably your mother jokes have been going on since uh, ancient time. But who doesn't love a, a well-placed one? Your mother. Because yeah. it, it's not like a, it's not just a, hey, you, mo- you know, tell your mother I said hi. It's, it's, it's subtler than that. You had to kind of figure it out that he was saying that to him. Uh, I also love that after everyone knows, the audience knows, Picard had told Riker, Data comes up with a tricorder and he says, by the way, <laughs> there's no life signs there. And he's like, I got it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Data. <laughs> but then he gets his back with the jump. Uh, best line, though. What's the name of the ship? The Lollipop. It's a good ship. <laughs> Just commissioned. <laughs> What's its compliment? Second best line. I love when Bryce says, uh classified i don't know what it is but i watched that a couple of times because i just love the way he he's delivered it and it sounded it's pretty quick really classified. i'm like good job computer he classified does, uh, uh, you're you're right eric uh for once uh no <laughs> you're right eric for jimmy always. stop talking uh, to kate where he does a fa- he, this actor does a fantastic job with this playing this entity you know but 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 a lying machine 
which is such an interesting challenge. How do you play a lying machine? Yeah, it's so cool. That's a great way to put it. I'm going to be thinking about that now. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, they discover that uh, this apparition of rice is just made up by this uh, something on this planet at this point. They don't know. It morphs into a very terrifying floating hairdryer thing <laughs> with two, two <laughs> nodes and it moves around and shoots lasers uh, and encases Riker in a plot device. <laughs> Those are the worst things to be encased in, too. A shimmering one. It is shimmering. And then you get a little bit of uh, Jonathan Frakes just paused there with his eyes like, mm, mm, mm. Uh, loved it. Uh, but yeah, he's he's trapped. But it, it gave the, the fantastic line that I bet all four of us are dying to say at some point, which is some kind of energy field. <laughs> He's trapped some in, kind of quote, some kind of energy field. Like, that is just as classic as it gets. <laughs> Another one of my favorite uh, 80s movies, some kind of energy field. <laughs> energy field. <laughs> some kind of energy field. <laughs> Sorry, I was Robert kicked Downey out of the Jr. only uh, improv troupe I've ever been in because I always started with some kind of energy field. <laughs> <laughs> you are the Michael Scott it's of great. improv. <laughs> Um, so when they, uh, figure out that's that, that Riker is trapped and they might need to get some backup. The first thing Picard does when he hears that is I'm going down there. <laughs> Try to stop me again. And I'm going to take Beverly with me because I'm going to make sure that I take the next person in commit. Like, let's make sure every person <laughs> of high rank is down on that fucking planet with an unknown, yeah. with some kind of energy force. Yeah, uh, and Troy is not having it. She's like, "WTF? Stop it!" What the Fringy? Yeah, what the Fringy? <laughs> and uh, Picard nice. is just like, "Yeah, noted, got it." Which I have used with my wife, and that does not work. It doesn't no. work at all. I've tried so not many times suggested. to be like, "Yes, I've logged your disagreement for later discussion." <laughs> Further prove that we are not captains of, of our own ships. No, we're not. Uh, so Picard is down there now and Crusher tries to figure out what's happening and they get attacked by these hair dryers. Uh, Tasha destroys one pretty easily. Um, and then uh, this the second time that they arrive, it's a little bit harder. Oh, wait, no, actually, yeah, this is the first time that they're being attacked because there's explosions and uh, uh, Crusher and Picard fall down in some of the best, you know, falling I've I've seen. I thought about you, Eric. I was like, I can't wait till Eric tells us about this big fall. Especially Gates McFadden. Um, I I have no idea how many takes they got or what they decided to do with them, but I'm very pleased with the result. I like that. The, I love that the tricorder goes first. That's my. I was like, oh no, they lost a very important piece of, of yeah. equipment. That's all their luggage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be awesome if you opened up a tricorder and like just so much is in there. It's a, no, it's, it's it's they totally stole it from uh, Doctor, Doctor Who, Who. <laughs> Mary Poppins, yeah, it's the tool that does everything. <laughs> it's a it's a really nice uh, like one two three where it goes tricorder and you have the no. And then no. pressure goes, and then you're like, no. And then she full on <laughs> takes Picard with her, which is the final no. 
Into the koi pond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Jim could have helped him, but he didn't. It could, I mean, yeah, really Tasha easy. Tasha was right there. She could have done something, but she didn't. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. Like, having having fallen accidentally into a big hole in the stage, it's... I'm certain it looks different when it's accidental than when it's on purpose. Even even when like really good falling people do something like this, but uh, this this I think was as funny as anything, and it, it's something that I I kind of enjoy about early Star Trek uh, and and some of the later stuff too. But the, you know they know it's goofy. It's goofy. It's fun. So it's goofy and fun. I like. That. Uh, was it- Go ahead, Kate. Oh, I was going to say, it reminds me of uh, a little diehard trivia that I'm sure we all know, which is that the Alan Rickman fall, he they were supposed to drop him on three and they dropped him on two. And so that look is a legitimate, like, holy shit, this was <laughs> right. wrong. Uh, and you can, you know, argue later about the ethics of <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> but it certainly shot. got a great shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That director never worked with Alan Rickman again. No, I'm, I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but probably. Um, but yeah, then we th- that's we get the separation. So uh, in more ways than one uh, in this episode with mm. uh, Picard and Crusher down below. Crusher is very seriously hurt. And we get in last, a lot of, you know, very tender scenes between the two of them. Um, this is certainly a continuation of what we've seen in The Big Goodbye and other, uh, you know, romantic hints uh, and that's this is where the writer and the director uh, were clashing with none other than our friend Gene Roddenberry, who wanted this uh, this scene and and this episode to further that story, to have more development between the romance uh, between Picard and Crusher. And Roddenberry very adamantly said no, wow. that he would did not want these uh, th- these characters to progress uh that story to progress in that way and so they were very frustrated uh and i think the scene a little bit suffers from it what do you what do you guys think i agree i could not stand almost any of the scenes with um crusher and picard and it's not because they're not they're both very i mean you know everybody knows i think picard is brilliant and crusher is just as good but i just there's just nothing happening in that scene that could draw me and I, I, I was like I had my finger on the fast forward button oh. and I didn't do it but it was like rubbing it the whole time I'm like oh, I can't stand this this is, is it's it's awkward and it's not going oh. anywhere and uh, I, I I just it it uh, bothered me Kate, you just, do you disagree I do I, I part of it, it it's it turns a little bit Elizabethan right where it's the it's or not Elizabethan but uh uh sort of um let me come in again. Victorian. Uh, yeah. Uh, Roman- romance. Regency. regency era. Yeah. It gets very Regency yeah. where it's all about what is unsaid and said. And it's all about the smallest moment of touch. And it's just a lot about subtext and what I I still think they were projecting that storyline, even if they were told not to, you know, I think that they are implicitly still sort of. Or maybe that's just what I want to see, so I I take it there. But there's that great moment where he says, "I guess I don't know everything about you," and she basically gives this just really wonderful, "Yeah, no, you don't." And like my little heart went pitter pat. Like it was I, that was a really loaded moment for me. 
I also, uh, and maybe this is this is a bit crass, but I do love that line where Picard says, uh, you know, be careful, this is going to hurt. And she says, I've heard that before. <laughs> I uh, just gave that as a, like, a line reading to uh, my wife earlier. And I was like, do you think that this means that? And she's like, oh, yeah, it totally means that. <laughs> Something I did not understand when I yes, was 12. Yes, exactly. You're like, why? Setting a bone often hurts. What are you talking about? You're a doctor. <laughs> Setting a bone. I, I, I even did it just then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm not only on Kate's side here, but I am also against Jimmy, which which is not an unpleasant feeling. Bold. Uh predictable. <laughs> I think I think I, I'm middle of the road because I think that there's I, I that would have been so much better if they, you'd had a little bit more said between them uh and, and a passing of, of of actual information other than having to guess at it. Uh, but I think you're right, Kate, in that the actors had all that subtext and used it as best as they could to try to get across uh, that type of intimacy that was happening down there. Uh, other production note, though, that sand, this is really gross, the sand that she was caught in was infested with fleas. Oh, no. And so they had to act all that, you know, intimate moments with the very real disgusting feeling of bugs jumping all over you. And sand fleas are the fucking worst. <sighs> they are the worst. You go to the beach, you think you're going to have this nice relaxing time and the whole, you know, experience is covered in bugs. I feel like what happens there is like you inform them and they do this thing like, oh, oh, we'll, we'll absolutely take care of this. We'll take care of this right now. Unless, I mean, do you want to keep going? <laughs> and there's 70 people looking at you and you, you feel like you just kind of have to go, oh, no, okay. I, guess, I mean, I guess it's fine. <laughs> you know, that's how I feel like I would have reacted in that moment. But it's unreasonable to have someone doing it's that. It's gross. Yeah. And I think they might have pushed back more if they hadn't already lost three days of production. Oh, right. Totally. So... Uh, while Tasha and Yar, uh, Tasha and Yar, Tasha and Data start fighting uh, more versions of these uh, robots who are shooting lasers at them, they start getting better. The same thing is happening uh, with the Enterprise, and Jordi LaForge is in command as the captain had given him uh, the bridge, and they are dealing with uh, some attacks up above, and we get some more nice scenes between Jordi and Worf. Okay, I absolutely love throughout when when Jordy has the opportunity, once he gets all these nerves out of his system, uh, it's such a joy to watch him, even interacting with Logan, interacting with the people that he feels are his friends all the way through. I love watching his growth. I love watching the confidence build. And, you know, we'll get to it. But that little reward he gets at the end is such a delight. It's a great, it's a, I, I love this storyline. I love getting to see Jordy's growth. I love seeing him up against uh, Chief Engineer Logan. Uh, there was a point where I wrote down, yes, Jordy, you tell him to fuck right off and get back to engineering. Because, <laughs> you know, Logan comes up all ego and, and bra energy uh, and to see him and and uh it's a great visual too he's got height on him right he's got height totally. he's got a better rank 
Like the the odds are stacked against Jordy, but what he knows is that he was given control of the ship by Picard, and goddamn it, until Picard takes it away from him, he's going to hold on to that that control. And the unspoken thing is like Logan, we haven't seen you in twenty episodes so far. You don't get to be in charge of us. <laughs> The writing is against you, my friend. <laughs> There's no way you could win. Um, I loved how Jordy handled it. And what was great was they were it, they were trying to set it up or they were setting it up to look like Jordy would realize he had overstepped or overplayed himself. And then maybe he was going to hand it over. Um, and they had a nice little turn there where it was like, uh, nope, you're just going to take the saucer section and you're not going to do anything too exciting. You're just going to fly to the star base. I'll handle the tough stuff. Um, which was was great because there was just having seen Jordy for that long, um, like I never doubted he was going to rise to the occasion, right? It was like this, he, of course he can handle it. He, he's one of the top guys. He wouldn't be in Picard's circle if he wasn't amazing and being able to handle that. So, But it was fun to see him handle, have the chops, acting chops too, you know, play it as if, you know, he didn't play it as an actor like, oh, I already know I'm the star. Uh, he he did what he was supposed to do. And it was it was fun to to see it. And as um, Eric said, it gets a nice payoff. Like we get to see he earned something at the end, both through his acting and, and from the, the writers were smart enough to see there was a moment there. John. And Worf was fun, oh. too. Another great Worf line. How fast can you target him? Fast. fast. <laughs> I also love his, his delivery of we missed so good that's a strong that's a reinforced console yeah. uh, did you all finish your drink when the saucer section separated no that is what you, that mean I don't know that's the drinking game I, it was very it, early internet. I remember see, getting a, right. a list of like oh this is the Star Wars drinking game things and uh, it was it, Every time the saucer checks in, you finished whatever you had. That was hardly ever. There's like three times. Well, we did it in college. There, our finish the drink was anytime. Uh, wusses. Yeah, wusses. Anytime the card said engage, you had to finish your drink, whatever it was and however much it, it was. And then the other rule was you have to drink anytime your character that you would choose each episode did something that was distinctly them. Mm, so nice. anytime data sure. expounded too much when it wasn't necessary, anytime Troy had a feeling, if Riker raised his voice, uh, you you know, the, and those things could grow. That the that's a very the library. Uh, Riker was actions. tall. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, Picard was. Anytime bald. words were said. <laughs> anytime any of them were wearing pants. There was a particular episode where I pants. drank so much. Um, afterwards I looked at my, my buddy and I said, um, where's your cat so I can throw the car. <laughs> and he said, the water's in the fridge. <laughs> and that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. This all makes so much sense. So yes, Jordy, uh, <laughs> gives the saucer section to Logan. Uh, Logan's a little bit, Oh, Oh, you, are you, I, I guess I do get some command, which is nice. He does, uh, take it to the star base while you get a re I think it's the same shot they used in Farpoint when they separate, but you get that nice, uh, uh mm -hmm. battle bridge, uh, and the drive section separating. Kate. I want to talk about. Logan for just a second and and the shit that he pulls where 
he keeps saying, I can't keep us safe. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And then when Jordy's like, all right, we got to go. He goes, you're leaving them? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Not cool, yeah. dude. Not cool. <laughs> yeah. He was just trying to undermine Jordy the whole time. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he was pissed that I got two dots on my collar and this guy's got a dot and a half. <laughs> Yeah, the only note I have written down there is just, God damn you, Mr. Logan. (laughs) So I'm with you, Kate. Uh, Apt, apt. Uh, So yeah, then they go back and he does his nice little pep talks to the uh, bridge officers. Well, before that, he gets the pep talk from from Troy. Troy. And that's another good setup because I think she's going to be like, hey, and even he does. He's like, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And he talks nervously for a monologue. Right. Yeah, I, I really loved that scene because it is it's sort of the old switcheroo where we're all thinking that she's going to give him what for. Um, but she just tells him exactly what he needs to hear, which is uh, part of what's nice about being Troy is you can tell someone exactly what they need to hear. Because she uh, knows. Because she knows. She did interrupt his nice little ceremony that he had with himself where he just wandered around Picard's office touching stuff. <laughs> that was pretty fun. I like that. I love I that I like scene. that because he, he wants to sit down and he's like, no, I can't. Yep. I can't sit down because that would mean I'm taking too much. So I'm just going to lean over and turn the console this way so I can get my information. Yeah, um, it was great. It's definitely pre-COVID though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are you touching everything, dude? <laughs> It's all got to be wiped down now, Jordy. He's like licking his hands and putting it in there. All got to be sterilized. Thank you. You're shedding all over this room. So back on the planet, we get uh, Picard as he's been wandering around where uh, him and Crusher are trapped. He finds a console. Oh, it seems to be still working. Let me press this bouton, the candy red colored bouton. And we get Vincent uh, coming back as the shill and he tries to sell even harder it talks about all of the wonders of this weapon which has a silly name do you guys remember what the name of it is i don't know but it looked like a big kino machine (laughs) yeah something 607 yes it is a bassomatic 76 no it's uh echo papa (laughs) 607 Echo Papa 607, of course. And uh, he, the way uh, that this uh, actor just delivers all of those like key selling points, it's just so gross, uh, especially as you're realizing, along with Picard, that it is this weapon system that killed all of the sentient life on Minos. I, I have a question. Go for it. It's pretty fundamental to the way this uh, whole episode runs. Mm-hmm. That for some reason, Beverly is the first one. She's dying actively and is the first one to basically say, have we unplugged it yet? <laughs> like the very first yeah. thing you do is 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 turn it off and or unplug it and plug it back in. And she basically says, have you tried saying stop? <laughs> and they all go, what? oh, yeah, we should probably say stop. But even... And it worked. It did. Well, that's it not did. what solved it, though, right? It was buying it. Yes. Agreeing yes, to buy you have it. Yes, to buy it. Yes. But they kind of said, can you and stop? Then, and he said, I mean, if you buy it. Right. Which begs <laughs> him, why like, didn't somebody else see that? Years and years ago, like, hey, we'll is, buy it all. We'll buy all of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Right, which which leads me to question a little bit of a plot hole here, which you know we're want to do on this podcast with these episodes, is that if it killed, like what what was this a Skynet type situation where the creators were trying to shut it down, and then so it, the the this weapon decided that it, even its creators were enemies, and then they killed everyone. It doesn't seem like we're getting that from this commercial. I feel like it's more of a war game situation where the computer thought it was real. And everybody else thought it was a, a test or a game, and the computer thought the test was using live fire, and so nobody, you know, he it kept raising the stakes like it does in this, and eventually released a weapon that killed everybody. Mm. You know, that makes sense to me. That's where I was with it. Yeah, I, that that's where I sort of envisioned it as well. I'd love to see that. We're not we're not going to look uh, it no, up though, no. right? No, why would we? <laughs> but yeah. I want to see that episode. I want to see that prequel movie the prequel. For, where they're on the planet and everything goes wrong and then we're just left with a repeated image of vincent over and over going welcome 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 yeah. see it writes itself <laughs> that's like a star trek acid party it reminds right me a little bit of the movie screamers honestly the you know the weapon systems get out of control um Anyway, if you haven't seen uh-uh. that, that's one of the good kind of Terminator and alien ripoffs uh, of the 90s starring Mr. Peter Ooh. Waller. So I, I, I recommend it. Well, before uh, Picard uh, you know, figures out that he just needs to say, I'm going to buy it, shut it down uh, and save uh, <laughs> uh, Tasha and Data from being attacked by the Uber hairdryer, um, we get Jordy's plan happening up above to defend themselves against a very similar thing. And uh, he's in the battle bridge, which uh, is a redressed version of uh, the Enterprise A, I think, from the Star Trek movies still. Awesome. And he has this idea to use the atmosphere, uh, which I think is kind of brilliant. They don't know where this thing is. They can't detect it fast enough before it disappears. So he says, let's go in uh, to the air of the atmosphere and create this turbulence. Then as soon as we see the thing following us behind us with turbulence, Worf can shoot it out of the sky. And it works. I love there's a great moment where Solas just yells out, the helm is unresponsive. And then Jordy says, can you compensate for it? And he says, yes. And that's the whole <laughs> exchange. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And cool you know, they're nervous, uh, but they, you know, again, they're they're bolstered by Jordy's kind of confidence and 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 telling them that they're all going to be okay. I'm surprised they aren't all smoking cigarettes at at the end of that battle because they are very <laughs> satisfied <laughs> at the end of that. Well, it doesn't help that they're always leaning back, back in those helmsman chairs. Like it all, it, <laughs> it's you're going to have a lot of sleepy drivers on the <laughs> Enterprise, especially as you're getting into the atmosphere and things are heating up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they defeat uh, the uh, weapon systems that were in orbit, and at the same time, Picard is shutting down what's happening there, and everything ends up being okay. Which is also a gigantic, angry hairdryer. Right. It was the same thing. Yeah, the size of that one. Yeah, bad. Uh, some some crazy props uh, happening in there. That was designed by uh, one of the uh, technicians here. I see there's there's a picture of uh, one of the original models with uh, their daughter uh, holding it before it got spray painted or, or, or done to look good, which is nice. Uh, there's also the cannon that is, they talked about how it being, like, oh, it's this weapon system is, is way more uh, advanced than any technology we have because it melted this tritanium or whatever it was. Um, that prop was actually just rented. It was, it was a rental. Oh. 
<laughs> like you do. From just some dude yeah. who from, had it. From inner space, randomly <laughs> it enough. could have been, yes. <laughs> That's an Oscar-winning canon right there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they end up uh, beamed back to the drive system, and Riker and Picard come on to that battle bridge and uh, there's that nice moment uh, that he has uh, congratulating Jordy for what he's done. I got a little teary-eyed, legitimately. It's such a really sweet, genuinely... As you said, Greg, it's gen- it's it's earned. Or as Jimmy may have said, um, I don't know, time and other people have no meaning to me. Uh, <laughs> but it is it is just such a beautifully earned moment of... He, he just plays it so well and so satisfied and proud and yeah i don't know i really like it and you get it all grows up (laughs) he gets his nervous yeah but since since they're all men they can't say it they have to uh say you know i i need it back in one piece thank you and you know they can't say go ahead and be captain a little while longer you've earned it no it's dusty in here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is which is fantastic you know? and that that's something we've seen a lot with with especially with uh picard's interactions we saw it with Worf uh and and heart of glory uh just last week uh right he has this kind of gruff way of giving praise that i you know i don't know is that a military trope is it feels like it's a thing that's in war movies a lot yeah it's just it's it's british masculinity too yeah. you know stiff up a lip. exactly right. but Jordy is happy as a pig in shit sitting in that captain's chair. <laughs> it's great. And getting to say engage. <sighs> can we can we talk for one second about how that all happened and then like the last thing that happens is someone goes, "Um, this is sick bay. Uh the do- the doctor's okay if anybody cares. Okay, bye. We forgot to tie up that loose end." She didn't even get to admit anything about her love to Picard. Nothing. Status quo, once again. Uh, So, Jimmy, let's go with you on final thoughts about Arsenal Frieden. What did you uh, what did you think? Uh, It had some a few lovely moments. Uh, The short storyline with Jordy, I really liked. But overall, I would give the the episode six angry hair dryers. If you happen upon it, watch it, but don't seek it out. Eric, what about you? I I think yeah the only thing really mind breaking about watching it again was remembering that Vincent Schiavelli was in it and having a, just a grand old time watching him and remembering other performances as well. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I like this episode. I think partly I just really re- remember that scene in the pit <laughs> with uh, with Picard and Crusher uh, and. Oh. Uh, it just holds a place in my heart. Uh, so I'm going to give it uh, uh, eight um, well-coiffed Logans. Ooh. You're not even <laughs> going to take away one well-coiffed Logan for no Wesley? You're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to give it seven well-coiffed Logans. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I think that's that's valid. Uh, I dig this episode. I, I think there is a lot of fun uh, character moments going on, even though they don't get that like cre- uh, amount of development uh, happening. And it's a mystery episode that uh, feels like it isn't, you know, kind of obvious, right? Like you kind of get like this, this sense of 
of strangeness and un unease, but I didn't really figure it out. I remember as a kid watching this until, you know, it's all kind of told to me. And then on rewatching, it was nice to, to kind of take that journey along and be like, oh, is this, I, I don't, I don't have fond, you know, firm memories of how this ends up. And I was taken along for the ride, especially with, uh, you know, Jordy having some really great battle moments uh, in, in uh, a starship, which we have not seen a ton of this season so far. And it reminded me of, the parts I love about uh, the the super dramatic Star Trek movies, right? So it had that that kind of uh, uh, amazing dramatic and climactic end to it that way. So yeah, I dug it. That is Arsenal of Freedom. It is an episode. Uh, next up, we've got Symbiosis. It is the twenty first episode, and we can't wait to talk about it with y'all. So thanks for listening to Reengage. Jimmy's pants are oh, wet. We are wet all over the place. Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter, or you can find her at Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage.